Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, friends. Happy Wednesday. I hope your day is treating you well. Today, I am answering questions from Instagram on three different topics. We're talking Enneagram growth, self-love and self-respect, and then just what's on your mind. Any questions you had for me are available for your answering. So I had you send these in on Instagram ahead of time. I'm kind of treating it like an Instagram live in the sense that I'm not preparing my answers in advance. I'm looking at the questions and I'm answering them in real time so that it's a little bit more organic and we get the truth (laughs) that's right at the surface instead of kind of a well thought out and um, overly scripted answer for you. I think this is a fun take on the Wednesday Q&A and maybe something we can add in every once in a while if it is of interest to you. But first, today's rosebud and thorn. My rose today is that we are going on a road trip today as a family. We're heading down to Atlanta. I love road tripping. I love road tripping with the family. I love a spontaneous road trip. We decided to take this trip not that long ago. Um, The thorn, and we've already talked about this a little bit, but the thorn is that the trip isn't necessarily for fun. We're going down for a sad reason that maybe I'll talk about sometime, but I wanna kind of wait until my husband's ready to talk about it. But yeah, we're kind of just going down for a sad reason and that's okay. But my bud is that we're going to get to see lots of extended family this weekend, which we haven't gotten to do in a really, really long time, like maybe pre-COVID, I want to say, especially on his side. Um, So yeah, we're excited. We're going to see aunts and uncles and cousins and grandmas. So we're looking forward to all of that. Okay, let's talk about the questions. We're gonna start with Enneagram specific questions. So let's hop right in. As a type six, how do I figure out which aspect of myself to use as my inner authority? So I think that the reason that we're asking this question is because the type six structure is seeking certainty, right? Like it's seeking some sense of, I will make the right choice. There is a right choice and I can, preemptively decide what that choice is and make it on purpose. And the struggle here is that we have to kind of move away from the belief in certainty because it doesn't exist. There is no perfect answer that you can make. There's no way to know that the decision you're making is going to be the going to be the right one. So what we have to do instead is seek clarity 
clarity. And I think in order to seek clarity, there are a few different ways that I do this. So I'll share that with you. One of those is if if nothing would be affected by this, if no one would be harmed, I no, I wouldn't lose anything, nothing bad would happen, what decision would I make? Because if I'm, it helps me to eliminate the fear that's there of something going wrong and really get true on what I want. The other question I like to ask myself is, what if if I like to meditate on future me, so me in my 70s or my 80s, I will sit and I'll just imagine being her. Typically, the way that I do this is I envision kind of what I think I'll be like at that time. So maybe I'm gardening or maybe I'm writing at a desk and I just kind of envision embodying her and the wisdom that she has with the perspective of having already lived this life, kind of looking back and telling me what to do. And that puts me in touch with kind of the higher, my higher self, the part of me that is patient and kind and willing to stick things out. Um, obviously I'm a seven, so I'm speaking from a seven place and it's going to be different for you, but I really, those are my two methods. Um, I think sometimes people wonder what's the difference between my anxiety and my intuition and the way I've heard this explained by therapists in the past is like your anxiety is loud and it's fast and it's racing and it's urgent and our intuition is a little bit quieter, a little bit softer and it takes its time. It has more patience and space for options. So that's three potential ways that you could distinguish the voice. The second question we have is, how should a successful type three respond to copycats, flattered but annoyed? So this is actually a pet peeve of mine too. It's, it really bugs me. And I think there have been multiple ways that I've handled this. One is often, especially on social media, I just block that person so that they can't copy me, which it does not a foolproof system. Like they technically could copy me still, but I typically just block them or it, even if it doesn't prevent them from copying me, it prevents me from being aware that they're copying me because the reality is that it doesn't actually impact us at all. Like them doing something weird over there really only impacts them. We're okay. Like as long as we're doing what we're doing and we're doing it well, we're going to be fine. So when that sensation arises, it's best for me just to not know what's happening and to just kind of ignore it. And it, doesn't feel as relevant or real. But the other thing I think to keep in mind is that they are doing this because they don't have much to say and you do. And so they're borrowing your depth (laughs) and your substance and, and your clarity because they don't have that for themselves. And that's really sad. And I think that I don't need to have compassion for that necessarily, but I, it helps me when I do have compassion to not take it so seriously, to not be like someone who cannot create their own depth and their own complexity and their own clarity, um, within what they're working on and chooses to borrow from me instead. They are not a threat to me in any way. As much as it might feel that way, as much as it might feel like they're going to step in and like take over 
what you do and, and limit your access to the things that you really want, they're not a threat. They are at best kind of a poor imitation. So I think like putting it out of sight and out of mind is what's best. So if that's a person in real life, don't spend a ton of time with that person. Um, wait until they find themselves in order to be in relationship to them. I think it's okay to have a standard for relationships where the people that you're in relationship to have a strong sense of self. That's something I require, something that is non-negotiable for me. So you're welcome to have that option. If it's on social media, block them, hide it, don't pay attention to it. It's not really about you at all. Next question, type one here, how not to become obsessed with self-improvement? I love this question and I think instead of focusing on self-improvement, I would encourage you to focus on nourishment. So what would be nourishing for me? And I think, you know, when we think about this from like a food perspective, okay, I, I the self-improvement brain goes, I need to eat clean. I need to eat or, you know, quote unquote organic. Like I know that's a complicated topic of whether or not that's even good or not. But you know what I mean? Like we have to eat all of these perfect things and we can't, you know, go out for pizza because that's a failure. Like that's self-improvement brain. But nourishment brain goes, hey body, what do you need today? You need some greens? When's the last time we had some like good protein? Let's get some good protein in there. You know what would feel nice? A long walk in the sunshine. Like focusing on nourishing yourself instead of fixing yourself. And I think a really good fielding question for this is, is this behavior something I'm doing so that other people see me do it? Or, or, you know, so I'm good or I should do it or it's for other people's eyes? Or is it because it, or is it for me and how I feel and how it feels to be me in the world? Um, the second one is the, is true self care is like actually for yourself, not what not how you're perceived, not if you're good or bad, but just is this nourishing? Is this taking care of me? Our next question is possible for a one to ever not be critical or aware of the problems and solutions. I, I, you know, I get this, I'm going to pair this with another question I see here that says, how do I stay away from cycling in and out of health? So here's the sad reality. <laughs> Number, I really do believe that we do not escape personal growth, right? Like I don't think this is like a destination that we get to where we've just finally made it and everything is good and we're golden and we are no longer human, we are like actualized and we no longer have an ego. I don't think that's reality and I really mistrust anyone who tells me that they do, that they've like become fully actualized and they no longer struggle with the things they once struggled with. I think it's make-believe. I say that to say I think we need to release this pressure to perfect ourselves, right? We need to release the pressure to have a destination on this journey. I think instead we need to think of it as a relationship or a conversation. It's something that we're consistently in partnership with. Um, I will probably always have some part of me that wants to run away and wants to just escape pain. And the reality is that I get to choose how I respond to that part of myself every single day. And sometimes I'm going to respond really well and sometimes I'm not. And I just, all that I can do is try better next time. And the way that we kind of 
improve this. You know, I think the goal isn't necessarily to never struggle with this again, because again, I don't think that's possible, but I think it is to kind of level out. So we're not going from extreme to extreme. I'm not just like perfectly actualized one moment and then just living completely out of my ego the next. I think the goal is more so to get into this middle place where we're more so able to kind of, we're not going from like lowest level of health to highest level of health, but we're kind of staying high average, lower levels of health. And then sometimes we really show up as like our most actualized self and that feels amazing, but it's not our you know, we have a baseline. And so in order to create that baseline, I think there's a few things that we need to do. I think focusing on that nourishment, um, making sure we're taking care of ourselves, meditating so that we can be outside of ourselves a little bit, become the noticer. Um, when we are able to kind of witness ourselves as if we're not in it, we can start to name these parts of ourselves that are responding. So we have all these different kind of internal characters that are playing roles out here. We have the protector that is here to guard us, and that's typically our Enneagram type. Um, however, it's deemed to protect. So for type one, that's like, what what's wrong here and how do I fix it? Um, how do I make sure that I'm doing the right thing in the right way? That's just there to protect you. So if you can look at it and say, hey, we're actually not in need of protection right now. So let's kind of back up and let the little kid in me play for a little while and have some fun because that's what's more appropriate for the situation at hand. So I say that to say I meditation makes that much easier. We're much more able to slow down between our thoughts, our feelings, and our reactions. So when we have a situation arise, when we create some space, we, we're more so able to choose instead of just kind of responding and reacting and feeling all kind of mixed up together. We're more so able to go, okay, this happened. That brought up a feeling in me. That feeling made me want to go into straight fixing mode. But I know that that's not the right answer here. That's not the appropriate role. This is not the time or place for that. So what's a better way to show up right now and then choosing to show up that way? And honestly, having that language and that kind of pattern of thought is super helpful, but also meditation makes it so much easier. All right, next question. As an eight, how do you show personal growth without coming across as too pushy? Um, well, I think I'm interested in the fear of coming across as too pushy and kind of where that's coming from. Is that coming from the experience of having been too pushy and, and knowing that it doesn't always serve you and others? Or is it coming from a fear that you'll be too much for other people? So I think that that's a valid question and, and one I want you to ask yourself. If it's the first and you're like, I want to show that I'm growing, but I don't want to or maybe I wanna encourage other people to grow, but I don't wanna seem like, I don't wanna have the experiences I've had in the past that didn't work well. If that's the case, then I would say, um, let other people's process be their process. It's not your job to guide them or to lead them in their growth journey. If they ask for help, um, they probably came to you because you're blunt and upfront. And that's where you can let your strength shine. Like that is a strength at times. 
being the friend who can say honest, do you want the truth for me? Like the blunt, honest truth, or do you want a listening ear? Like, do you need a solution or do you need someone to be here for you? And I think that's a really good way to engage with other people's problems. If what you're saying is my personal growth journey, I think that just kind of living it out makes it obvious. You know, you don't have to show people that you're growing. You can just grow. And people will will be able to tell by how you respond to them and by how you surprise them. I cannot tell you how many times I have gone to therapy and I've told my therapist, this is exactly how my husband's going to respond to this. This is what I'm going to say. And then this is what he's going to say, because we've been down this road a million times before, only for me to go home, say the thing and him to respond completely differently and me to be able to, in that moment, recognize oh yeah, he's doing his own growth work. He's in therapy. He's growing. He's changing. And we are in the constant evolution. So give people the chance to see it. You don't have to prove it. Okay. Our next group of questions are all about self-love and self-respect. So number one, I'm prone to bouncing between extremes, self-deprecation, and then my egotistical side. Do you have any advice? So I don't know your Enneagram type, but I'm curious if maybe you're type four. I do know that type fours tend to struggle with this specifically, like this, I'm either less than or I'm better than. Um, and this happens often in the type four structure because there's a fear of being average. There's a fear of being like everyone else. So you either have to be worse than them or better than them because you can't be the same as them. That's, that's like not okay. And so I think in that sense, we need to get comfortable with being average and kind of enjoying that mundane space. And I think in order to do that, we have to romanticize it. We have to start looking for the good in people who we deem average. We need to start really romanticizing the average ordinary tasks, like your commute to work, or I always say washing the dishes, like whatever it is that you think is just like below you, romanticize the heck out of it so that you can more fully live into that space so that you can set yourself free from this pressure that you're carrying around to be better than that all the time or be more special than that all the time. Because when you hold yourself to the standard of I need to be special and significant, then it's very easy to fall short to that because very like none of us are special and significant all the time, like ever. <laughs> so that normal human experience can feel so distasteful that when you fall short of the better than that, it can really easily become self-deprecating, right? Because you're not living up to your own personal standard, but your standard is, is astronomically high a lot of the time right? It's like expecting a consistent significance all the time. And in reality, most of us are going to get a significant moment here and there where we feel special and significant, even doing things that we think of as special and significant. Once we get those things, they start to feel normal. Like if I had told you one day when I was a kid, you know, as a kid that I was going to grow up to be an author and a podcaster, I would have thought, oh my gosh, every day must feel so magical and amazing and so connected to your purpose. And the truth is most days it's just like a lot of emails and a lot of typing and a lot of making graphics. Like it doesn't feel significant 
most of the time. I have to sit back and look at my life and be like, hey, this is significant. Take a moment here and acknowledge that, right? It feels very normal. And I, and what you compare yourself to as you obtain these things starts to change. So I no longer am comparing myself to someone who's written one book. Now I'm comparing myself to people who have gotten written two books and are on bestsellers lists. And, um, you know, all of this, like before my goal is just, I want to write a book. I want to write one book before I die. And now I'm not going to be satisfied until I've written 10 books. And that's like the only job that I have forever. You know what I mean? Like the marker grows and it shifts and it changes and it starts to feel like what feels significant at one moment starts to feel ordinary at the next. And if we hold ourselves to the standard of constantly feeling significant, we're going to often feel like we're falling short, which is going to impact how we feel about ourselves, right? So um, even if you're not a four, this experience I think applies. Like I'm, I, I know it sounds like I'm only talking to fours here, but it's that's not true. I'm talking to everyone. So in order to move through that, get comfortable with the average, recognize that significant moments are significant for a reason because they're rare and hold yourself to a different standard. Don't expect yourself, don't only love yourself when you're doing something that you deem of worth. Um, Find love for yourself in the ordinary. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All right, next. I struggle with codependency. I care too much what others think. Any advice? Type 9 here. Yeah, I mean, I think if we think about that type 9 fear of loss of connection, we can start from there. We can hold compassion for that part of yourself that is scared that people will leave when they truly get to know you. And then recognize that that fear isn't something that you want to carry anymore. It sounds like you're ready to move on from that. And if I'm honest, I think with codependency, like you need a therapist. You need somebody who's with you specifically walking you through this step by step. And if you don't have a therapist, there's resources out there like BetterHelp that offer sliding scale payments or in virtual sessions. So you don't have to, it, it uncomplicates a lot of things. And there's also things like Open Path that offer sliding scale rates for therapists in your area. So just know that there are options for therapy if you feel like your insurance doesn't cover it or something. But definitely go to therapy because that's going to make the biggest difference. But also get comfortable with space. You know, that codependency is is a, a hunger for closeness and connection and feeling... Um, like people aren't going to leave you. And I think that there's a, there's a sensation of space that feels really scary, but is actually extremely healthy. So that's like where I would start is just kind of play with the energy of what does it feel like when I'm not, when I feel distanced from people and what comes up for me when that feeling arises and where do I end and they begin and kind of just getting comfortable with that. But then I really do think therapy is next. 
Okay, next question. I am so critical of myself. How do I practice self-respect and avoid perfectionism? I am a two. Okay, so I really think this is going to sound very counterintuitive, but with my heart of hearts, I believe the way through self-criticism and self-rejection is looking at your mess. It's opening up the closet of all the things you think are bad about you and just pulling them out one by one and looking at them in the daylight. Because when we think we have to be perfect, we have to be all good all the time, we hold ourselves to this impossible standard so that when these very human experiences occur, human emotional reactions, human feelings, you know, human things arise, human failings, we feel unlovable in response to our imperfection. But if we open up the closet, pull everything out, look at it, just go, okay, this is my stuff. This is what's messy about me. This is what's wrong with me. Then when we can't get caught off guard, right? We're aware of it. We're working on it. Um, we have a sense of what it is and it's part of us and we love it and we find a place to accept that in us. When we can do that, when we can accept all the things that are bad about us and kind of hold it really lightly and maybe even be able to laugh at it, um, when we can do that, we're impenetrable, right? Other people's experience with us is no longer a deterrent to our own self-worth. It's no longer what decides if we get to be accepted today or not because we accept ourselves already. They're just like this fun bonus and there's nothing that we can do to push ourselves past the love that we deserve because we've already chosen to love ourselves unconditionally. Because if we only love ourselves when we're doing great and we're succeeding and we're perfect partner and we're doing everything right and we're not overly reacting to something, when we only love ourselves in that place, it's so conditional that it's not love, right? It's just performing and saying good job. Instead, we need to find a way to love ourselves in the depths of our murk and our mire and where we are the most messed up and like ourselves there. And I think step one to doing that is really just unpacking it and writing it out, looking at it so it can no longer be like a scary monster in the closet situation. It's just, here's what it is. This is my stuff. I'm going to look at it and get honest with myself about it so that I don't surprise myself with it. How to be motivated for self-improvement from love, not hate, and perfectionism. So we kind of talked on this a little bit earlier, but I really do think it's about nourishment. You know, how can I, what is nourishing for me? Not what is wrong with me, what do I need to fix, what's broken that it, that needs to, that needs to be repaired. It's just, what do I need right now? What would be nourishing? What would help this really, what would be nourishing to my relationships? What would be nourishing to my body? What would be nourishing to my mind, to my heart? And allowing yourself to have those things. All right, our last question on this topic, how to not take personally how hard it's been to make friends since COVID. I think this is a really good question. I think the idea of not taking it personally is super important um, because it's just not, it's not personal. And if we take it personally, it becomes a failing in our part when really it's just the world at large. 
So I think it's definitely just not about you at all, right? Like we had, there's a lot going on here. Um, people are at varying degrees of comfort with people. A lot of us became less social post COVID because we got really comfortable not being around people. It's just not really about you. That being said, I think sometimes we take it personally. We think like we're being rejected when someone doesn't want to be friends with us. But I really don't think of friendship as like this rejection acceptance thing. It's more like, is this a fit? And if one of you is saying, hey, this doesn't feel like a fit, then it's not a fit for either of you. And likely you're probably trying to make something that's not a fit a fit just because you want a warm body there instead of like a qualified candidate. <laughs> that's like a weird way to phrase it. But really what you need to be is like a little bit pickier. My, my friend Eric, who's a type nine, he says that he learned at one point in his life that he gets to decide if he wants someone to be in his life instead of waiting for them to decide if he's going to be in theirs. And I think that's kind of the energy shift we need to do here is is this a fit for me, not am I a fit for them? Okay, we're getting into our final subject, our random questions. Question number one, travel destinations you recommend for a two-wing three who's never left the U.S., my mom. Okay, I love this question. Honestly, my mom's a two, probably a two-wing three, yeah. And um, she got really into cruising. That has been like the thing for her. So that might be a good gateway trip for her just because it's got a lot of the familiarity of the states. But if she's like, I want to go on a grand adventure, I'm not, I don't want to like baby step it. I want to go all in. I would say maybe go to like Montreal or Quebec City so that you can get like another language. But again, it's a little bit of an easier process. It's a, another ga good gateway trip. They, you can be around people speaking French, but also everyone speaks English. It's a, easier to cross the border, all of those things. That's a good one. Um, but if we were like, let's go like to Europe, you know, let's say we're going to the, like, the next stage up. I would say Edinburgh is really good because it's kind of a compact city. Everyone's going to speak English, but it's a very different culture. And from Edinburgh, you can take trains to other countries, but also to around Scotland and get kind of some more like smaller city, like smaller town experiences that are going to be really interesting. And if we start there, you're gonna get the catch the fever, right? She's gonna get the like, what's next kind of vibe. Um, in Edinburgh one time, I took a train, I got lost and I hitchhiked um, and this older couple picked me up and we spent the afternoon together. They like took me to go see this like statue that they really loved. They bought me some haggis to try. They, we like got tea together and we just had this lovely afternoon and then they helped me get the right train back to the city. And so I think that two wing three energy is kind of very cultural there. Like people are just very kind and warm and welcoming and excited to talk to you. So, um, yeah, that's my three suggestions. Gateway number one, like baby step number one would be a cruise. Baby step number two would be like Quebec City or Montreal. And then number three would be Edinburgh. Next question, I would love your take on honoring the grief that comes with setting boundaries. Yeah, here's the hard truth. No one's gonna like a boundary you set with them. 
You're setting the boundary for a reason because they continue to cross the boundary. It makes you feel disrespected. It makes you feel uncomfortable and they are benefiting from it in some way. So every time we set a boundary, we're going to piss somebody off, right? Like it just is what it is. So that sucks, right? So when we do that, we need, it's like a good practice and just kind of letting people be disappointed in you. And the easiest way that I have found to accept this is to recognize that it's not me being selfish for setting this boundary, right? Or maybe it is. Let's say it even is. Let's say it is very selfish of me to set the boundary. But them being upset with me for setting the boundary is also selfish. It's them not getting what they want from me and therefore they're mad at me for it. Also selfish. So at worst, even if I'm the most selfish that I can be, I'm just as selfish as they are, right? So I've done nothing wrong. Nothing that they haven't done. So I, I just want to be clear, like, they're only mad at you because they want something from you. <laughs> so you let them feel their feelings. And I think that's the other thing is, is we have to distance ourselves from how people react to us sometimes. Like, their feelings are their responsibility. They actually have nothing to do with you. And when you care about someone or when you're a caring person in general, letting people experience their feelings can be really hard. We want to fix it. We want to take it away. We want to make them feel better about us, about themselves. And so we kind of backtrack sometimes when we, when we think what we're doing could hurt them, but at what cost, right? So recognize you're not doing anything wrong, but also, yeah, it is a grief. And I think that you know, I tend to honor my feelings through journaling and just writing about like, what is hard about this? Let's talk about it. Let's look at it. Let's have a conversation about it with ourselves and honor the fact that like, this isn't wrong, but it's also hard and that's okay. Um, next question, Enneagram and parenting. So actually I have an entire series on parenting. It is very in-depth. Um, it starts with, you know, an introduction to how we can look at them together. There's this, there's an episode for every type. And then there's an episode for Enneagram and children. So that's all on the podcast already. Definitely check that out. It's easier, honestly, because I podcast so much to Google Enneagram and coffee parenting in the Enneagram. That's more, that's a faster way to get to it than um, kind of scrolling through my feed. Although you're, it's not that old, so you probably could still find it. What colors would you assign per type? That's really fun. Um, okay, number one, I think white, like pristine white. Number two, like red. Number three, purple, for some reason, feels right. Four, no, I'm gonna, yeah, I, I'm going with my gut. I wanna give four purple. I'm gonna give four like a lavender purple. Um, five, I would give like a gray blue. Six, I'm gonna give like a deep green. Seven, bright yellow. Eight, I'm gonna give like a, like a sturdy color, like a slate gray. And then nine, I'm gonna give like a tranquil blue. That was fun. How do you stay positive and grounded even when your life seems chaotic and depressing? Okay, so number one, sometimes I don't. <laughs> like first and foremost, sometimes we don't. 
And typically, I don't start off feeling that way. Typically, I it takes some time for me to recognize that I'm not happy and I'm not grounded and I'm feeling chaotic and I'm feeling not okay and maybe I'm being irritable or grumpy or critical. Like there's some kind of indicator. So I typically think the indicator for me is like where I go in stress. So for me, that's like I become kind of like the lower health of one, like critical, um, judgmental, irritable, um, kind of angry under the surface. That's an indicator that like, whoa, something's off here for me. And so when that's the case, I typically go, what do I need in order to take care of myself? And that's usually for me the high side of my rest number. So for me, that's I'm a seven, so that goes down to five. So then I'm like, okay, I need to be alone. I need to manage my energy. I need to cut out anything that's excess and focus on just what's a high priority right now and let myself just reflect and process and be in my own energy for a minute and then even get us that just to even get a sense of like what I can do to feel better so I would encourage you to look at that depending on your type you know what are some indicators that this is happening and then what is that what are some behaviors that the high side of your rest number would do in order to take care of themselves and the other thing I will say is just sometimes I don't stay positive like I used to and I think that that wasn't always the best choice right like I'm a seven that's been my work is to not always be positive but I will say I'm grateful for the skill so the skill of being able to choose positivity has served me well and and I know other types may struggle with that so I will say in order to think positively in the midst of chaos um, it helps me to look back at other times that have been hard and to, re- to look at the good things that came out of it. So um, my car broke down once, but I met a person in the process who ended up offering me an opportunity later in my life that actually made my career, you know, something along, that's not a real story, but like just envisioning like, okay, what's something bad that's happened that actually had good results in the long run that I couldn't see in the moment, but at the end of it, I could. Kind of looking for that. The other thing is what I call a 10 good things list, which is when all feels lost and everything just feels like I'm only in my negative energy and I can only focus on what's going wrong, pausing and going, what are 10 good things in my life right now? And we could call this a gratitude list. It is a gratitude list, but I hate the word gratitude list because it just feels so fake and it feels so like grandiose, like, oh, I'm grateful for a roof over my head and like, like so, like I'm so humble and gra- grateful all the time. No, but sometimes what we can do is we can just go like, here's 10 good things. Here's 10 good things that are going on. And that takes the pressure off of like being this like super grateful person who's grateful for every little thing and just helps me to recognize what, what are some good things right now? I have tea. I like tea. That's nice. Um, I have a place to record podcasts. I have, um, my eyes straightened my hair this week and that was really nice. You know, just little things that can brighten up a day. This is the last little piece of advice I'll give you. I could probably talk about positivity and happiness forever because that's my most natural state of coping. But um, 
the final one is I have, I keep a thing called a happy list. It's just 10 things that I can do in under two hours for less than $20. That's my metric because that's typically like something I can give myself at least every week. So, um, I keep that list. Sometimes it's free stuff, you know, like sitting in that chair, our patio chair and reading a book. And sometimes it's like, go to a movie by myself. But I just think of what are 10 things that make me happy? And then if I'm in a really depressed place or a really sad place, I just try to do something from my happy list every day. It doesn't always make me feel better, but it does give me something to kind of focus on that's different than just how I'm feeling. So, um, and I've decided ahead of time that there's something that are within my means, they're perfectly healthy and fine to do. It's not like I'm booking a plane trip last minute, you know, to like escape. I'm just kind of choosing something that I've already decided is perfectly suitable for me to do at any time. So all of that to say, I hope that's helpful. And if you like this style of Q&A, let me know and we will do it again. As always, it's an absolute joy to create this content for you, and I will see you tomorrow for the next one. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.